0: What's up everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 82. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts and joining me as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? Uh, what's that?
1: I-, I can't hear you. I'm too weighed down by all of these decathlon. Uh,
0: no, wait, I already did this once. <laughs> <laughs> you sure did. You sure did. It seems that like you're successful relatively often in this game of magic that we enjoy. Uh, well, when it comes
1: to a cube, that's uh especially Arena Cube that is one thing I would honestly talk about it for a whole podcast.
0: <laughs> well, might I interest you in just that? That's right. Today our episode is all about the Arena Cube. We're going to cover a little bit about cubes in general, but of course, since the Arena Cube is available to us and we've got it for another week and a half or so here at the time of recording, we figured we'd share with you a little bit of what we've found with the Arena Cube. Ben has put a ton of reps in, myself a little a little fewer, but still playing quite a bit of it. So We're going to talk through all of that, but before we do, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not in the Discord, check that out. It's the best place to go to communicate with us on a regular basis. We're in there basically every day, and of course, we have a lot of other folks in there as well, just kind of hanging out, sharing trophy deck lists, sharing their picks, and just kind of chatting about life and other nonsense, so check that out. If you're interested, the link to it is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page, and if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod.com. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons that continue to support us each and every week. We're beyond grateful. Really can't thank you all enough for that, continuing to keep us doing this and keep us motivated. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, some stickers, custom Draft Chaff stickers that are pretty decent if you ask me. Uh, we also give you access to our show notes, unedited recordings of the show, including some post and pre-show banter, and our Draft Chaff Hero Cards, signed by us and sent right over to you, depending on the time of your sign-up, so um yeah check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod well with that on to our Kraken draft type thing we've got an arena cube pack here ben why don't you walk us through it this is actually my pack one pick one from one of my decathlon runs
1: we're gonna start off with consider i don't know would you consider consider
0: not in the cube that's for sure it's (laughs) it's a card that you'll play in most blue decks but it's definitely not a first pick i mean the cube is such a high power environment that you're looking to pick up a real bomb here
1: Yeah, you would need some very particular cards before you want Consider in your deck. You probably want exactly Dragon's Rage, Channeler, and Delver of Secrets before you even really Consider, Consider. Sorry, Consider, not a consideration. Let's move on to the next one. That's Soul Herder. Oh, man, I love this card. It is such nonsense, and it's it's a lot better than it looks. That's one white-blue for the 1-1. And then you have the ability to flicker a creature on your end step. By flicker, we're going to be talking about flickering quite a bit. Uh, that tends to mean exiling a creature and then returning it to the battlefield. And then whenever you, uh, a creature is exiled from the battlefield, put a 1-1 counter on Soul Herder. A, a very cool card, and it works really well, of course, with enters the Battlefield effects. Uh, I like it. Not necessarily a first pick. It is a little lower in power than I'd like. It's not the best flicker than ones that can't be interacted with are a little better. Teleportation Circle and Thassa, I would take over Soul Herder. Also a little easier to cast those.
0: Yeah, I mean, Soul Herder, Soul Herder is definitely a nice payoff for being in the deck. Not so sure that I want to start off trying to force that deck. Like you said, Teleportation Circle and Thassa can fit in other game plans as well, even if you're not really going hard on the flicker plan. This one, I suppose, could as well, it's sort of an all-in-one package it enables itself but it is to color and well there are just a lot of better options in the cube to start your draft off with next up is garrick's uprising
1: tuna green it's this thing where if you you enter the battlefield and it has a four power creature you draw a card and then every fourth power creature comes in you draw a card this is this is good this is bad you don't want this (laughs) i've never played this in a single arena cube deck and i have played green probably in above 40 to 50 percent of my decks you just don't want this card next up is scattered groves that's the green white tapped land uh it has cycling for two generic it's nice not the best but the green dual lands do tend to be the ones that you want
0: yeah dual lands are always something you want to keep them keep in mind when you're drafting cube of course and this cube has a handful of interesting ones and i think navigating which are higher priorities than others is a good way to get above your competition in the arena cube and i think the cycling lands are probably mid to high in the pack there where you're happy to take them but they're not the most important ones you'd want and Mm -hmm. green white isn't really i mean there are some pretty solid green white decks that i've seen but yeah it's it's just fine right you're you're okay to take it but not thrilled
1: yeah the shocks and the pathways i would take above the cycling lands uh, although i have certainly cycled cycling lands and i'm pretty happy to have them I think in the power rankings of color pairs, I'm I'm looking most for the blue green and and green red lands, and then the other greens, uh, green black and green white are a little worse. And then after that, you're starting to look for like blue red above the, the green. Like I, I would take a steam vents over over uh, a scatter groves so if it was going to come down to one of those two. A few more lands coming up. Uh, we've got Clearwater Pathway. It's the the blue-black pathway, I believe. Again, it's playable. It's it's fine. You'll take it sometimes, uh, but this one is a little lower, a little less important color pair. Blue-black just isn't really a real thing in this cubes from what I found. You can make like a control deck, but it's not gonna be a very good one. Next up, Cave of the Frost Dragon. I actually like this more than the previous two. If you're playing mono-white or some sort of white aggressive deck, you absolutely want this. The ability to recover from a board wipe by just attacking with this a few times or dodge sorcery speed removal with this, Honestly, even just as like a top end mana sink, it's just good to have. Next up is Woe Strider, disgusting, disgusting magic card. One of my least favorite cards ever printed. I just ugh, just makes a mess of good honest green decks. You know, <laughs> the stupid play of of making the goat and then blocking your five five with it, and then sacrificing it to scry, and then they the top deck in a more fodder. Ugh. What a a card. It's really good, (laughs) but uh, it it fits into the Black Red Sack deck, which got nerfed in this uh, in this cube, as did a lot of the old favorites. Um, Still a solid card by itself, but I honestly don't think I've played black once in, in this cube iteration.
0: Yeah, it's it's in a weird spot. I don't think I've played it either, and if I have, it's been in a very minor capacity, maybe in like a five-color deck that just happens to have a few black cards. It's not really in a great place, and it's it's not something that I'm typically looking to put together too much. But some of the black-white decks have been f- pretty pretty reasonable. You have cards like Priest of Forgotten Gods that can really make those decks tick, and Woe Strider is a nice little piece to add to those decks. So it's a fine card, but yeah, really again, looking for something a little little more beefy, a little little better on its own. I think, than that.
1: Next up, we've got Volcanic Salvo. That's some big red removal spell. I don't like this that much. Uh, the decks that want red cards tend to be a little lower to the ground, a little more streamlined and aggressive. This could work in a red-green big stuff deck, but that also kind of got nerfed this time around. It, it's there, but the top end isn't so much with creatures. Volcanic Salvo isn't the type of card you want for that. Eh, you can play it. And I've sided it in sometimes against... Uh, you know, other big creature decks. It can be a mirror breaker if you happen to be in like a big creature slog, but still not not the best card. Next up, Torbrin, Thane of Redfell. I love this card.
0: Yeah, it's super solid. This is one of those that's like, seems like it needs work, but it actually doesn't. It's just a solid creature that literally asks you to play red cards, which yeah. given its casting cost, you better already be doing. And yeah. so this, this is a card that if you want to play base red decks you need it in your deck in this cube like the mono red decks that don't have torbrin just don't do what they need to do they're not fast enough so torbrin's pretty much a linchpin in all those low to the ground aggressive red decks and it's a solid pickup here i'd be pretty happy to take torbrin
1: yeah this is the card that wins the game just as a reminder torbrin makes all of your red things deal two extra damage That means your 1 1 tokens are now basically 3 1s. Your shocks are now better than lightning bolts. (laughs) Like, this card swings the game and can be one of the scariest things to see on turn four. The the red aggro decks that have Torbram can be the difference between like a 7 and a 10 out of 10, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Next up, uh, Suspicious Stowaway. I'm a little suspicious of putting this in my deck because I don't think it's that good next scoot swarm
0: (laughs) dude love me a scoot swarm love me a scoot swarm i don't think i've seen it actually work too well in this cube but (laughs) i will i will windmill slam a scoot swarm pick up every land i can and every way to get lands in the battlefield and you better watch out because my swarm's coming for you
1: oh yeah scoot swarm is an awesome card but i got bad news for you they took out the token doublers They they took out uh, all all the ones that make doubles of tokens, which is just so weird. Uh, Anointed Procession, that's the big one uh, that would really enable this. Why is it gone? I don't know, Uh, but I hope to see it back next time uh, alongside the Scoot Swarm, because that is a disgusting curve out right there.
0: I have a theory on that. I noticed, and I can't remember the name of the card, but I noticed there is a particular card that has anointed procession in its spell book. It's one of those alchemy cards. And I think they may have taken them out in favor of a few extra cards, given that the spell book really adds a handful of cards to the cube, somewhat artificially anyway.
1: Huh. Interesting. Uh, That is uh, an important note about this iteration of the cube. We have alchemy cards now. Uh, None in this pack. But next up, we've got regrowth. Just, you know, filler. Uh, You'll play it if it's important, but you really don't have time to mess around with things like that. The green graveyard stuff just isn't really there in this cube. If you're playing like green, black, good stuff, uh, (laughs) it's not really where you want to be. You want something a little more assertive than that. Regrowth could be good if maybe you, you have a really, really important card to your uh, your strategy. If you're playing blue black reanimator and you only have like, I don't know, the scarab god and that's it, and that's like your only thing. But then coming back to your hand anyway. I don't know what I'm talking about. This just isn't this just isn't a thing you'd splash for. This isn't a thing that you want. I tend to not play regrowth anytime. Next up, Prismari command. It's good. Put it in blue-red decks, you'll never cut it, it kills something. The ability to deal with an artifact is huge. There's some 5-6 to mana impactful artifacts in this set. And uh, tossing around 2 damage or ramping yourself or fixing yourself, all really good options. Um, If you're in blue-red, you definitely want this.
0: Yeah, and actually, there's something to be said there too about not only the ability to take care of artifacts, but the ability to do that when you need to and not when you don't. Because there are a lot of good artifacts and enchantments in this format but you can't waste a card on just that effect. And so mm. we we saw a lot of success in the Decathlon finals there when we were streaming in Empress Shieldbreaker, right? Which is a creature that also lets you blow up an artifact. Yeah. When you need that artifact destruction, it's really useful. But otherwise, you really need that card to do something. And Prismari Commands is an, ex- uh, an excellent example of this as well.
1: Next up, we've got Inscription of Insight. I'll give you a little insight. Don't inscript this. Oh God. Into I your hate you. Deck. I uh, hate you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm really reaching today, but you know, it's been a long day. I had a long day at school, so I think I've earned this. Yeah. Just don't, don't play this. Uh, the black one is in the cube too. I believe don't play that either. The green one. Yeah, it's good. You can put it in your, in your green creature decks. It's like a modal fight spell. It can gain you life, put counters on things, but the blue and the black ones are just so clunky, just so slow, just not very good cards. Um, compared to the relative power level of this cube. Last but not least, Micchaeus the Lunark. This is a banger. Micchaeus is an awesome card. For those that haven't played with it, I think it came in from one of the... Uh...
0: Um, I think it's in this cube from Jumpstart.
1: Yeah, yeah, it came in from Jumpstart. This card is dope. So it's an X white. It comes in with X 11 counters on it, and you can tap it to put a plus one plus one counter on it, or you can tap it to remove a counter from it and put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Each other creature you control, rather. So it comes in as like maybe like a five mana, four, four. Then you tap it, it comes down to a three, three. But then everything else on your board gets a one, one counter. If you've gone wide in any capacity, this is just the game ender. And then you can do that again next turn. And then when you finally get them down to a one, one, you just start ramping them back up again. A really, really great card. It scales with the game really well because the X in its cost. Uh, I like Micaius a lot, especially when you have a way to get it. Uh, I think there's a, a ranger, captain of Eos in this cube, but there's some, like, one of those uh, tutor for a, a a creature with value one or less effect. And then Micchaeus is an awesome tutor target to have for that. Really, really like Micchaeus in mono-white or in. If you manage to get green-white tokens, like, putting all those counters on, like, 20 Scoot Swarms, that, that'll win you a game or two, right? Sure will. But, uh... I haven't really been impressed with the counters archetype. It's really gotten hit hard, especially because the counters counters and tokens used to kind of be the same. It was all kind of melded together. There's even like animation module to, to really go over the top with counters and tokens. There's all these cool things they took out in favor of alchemy cards. But, you know, what are you going to do? Got to play with what you're dealt. In this case, uh, literally, I took the Torben out of this pack. I, I just uh, I, I was feeling aggressive and I ended up in mono red. So. Uh, I was happy to have him.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent pick here. None of the other cards are like exceptionally drawing me into their game plans or their colors or anything like that. And Torbrand, like I said, as a linchpin is one of those relatively low risk, high reward cards that you can take, pack one, pick one. If you didn't see the red flowing, you could easily pivot off of him. And mm. if you did, you were going to get hooked up and nobody else was. So yeah, good to see, good to see taking the Torbran there. All right. So with that, on to our Teferi Tybalt. This is our Roses and Thorns style of segment where we share in a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, Teferi Tybalt.
1: Nah, you do it. You haven't gone first in a bit. All right. All it's been right. Been a while.
0: <laughs> so for me, my Teferi this week is that, of course, the on stream was a ton of fun. We were streaming for like five hours or so. and Felt like it the whole time we were joking about how we were going to go oh three and then Ben ended up seven twoing. <laughs> so it was, it was really fun. It was a super awesome deck and there were a lot of close games, even like the very last turn of the last game of the event was a total nail biter. So yeah. really, really fun time. Hopefully we can do more of those. We talked about it in our, I think it was the 2021 review episode a couple of weeks ago um, that we, we wanted to kind of try to get back to streaming a little bit more. So that was a good test run. It, it felt good. Maybe we won't do them for quite a, that long every time, but it was it was a lot of fun, and we had a few folks join us over there. So thanks for hanging out. Um, I also had a solid week and a half off. I've been on vacation, quote unquote, for the last week and a half. Um, I say that because I was just I just stayed at home, but uh, I had the time off, so. Um, that that's been good. I wasn't quite as productive as I wanted to be, but I did get some stuff done. And then I watched a lot of TV. I, I sad to admit, I did watch a lot of TV, which is a bit of wasted time, but I needed the rest. So, uh, I'll, I'll give myself a little bit of grace there.
1: I might even say that time spent resting is not time wasted, you know? No, sometimes, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's so easy to, to trap ourselves in that. It's like, Oh, well I wasted a whole day. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Wasn't I like hanging out and relaxing, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where it's so easy to to measure myself worth sometimes by how much I've produced that day, like on paper. But mm-hmm. then I'm like, wait a minute. That's not that's not a great way to live. We, if our ancestors had made slightly different choices, we would have just been like sitting around harvesting nuts and berries and stuff, right? Like that th- then that's not that much work either. So uh, I don't know where exactly I'm going with this.
0: Watch anything good. <laughs> Um, I've basically just been watching the flash over. So no, (laughs) I've, I've realized, I've realized the first like two or three seasons of that show are decent. And then it just falls off a cliff really fast. And for some reason I can't stop myself from watching the rest of it. But I'm like, this is just (laughs) awful. Like, what am I doing here? But I, I agree with you in terms of the productivity thing. I've actually had a few conversations with people about this where there's this idea of like toxic productivity where you're you're just working for the sake of work and then you know you're you're actually like running yourself into a hole in terms of your mental health and things but really productivity is just using your time well and rest is a great use of time so if you need the rest take the rest of course it's not actually unproductive in fact that is productive if you need it so
1: absolutely Uh, i don't think this is too far off topic but have you seen the new batman trailer
0: maybe i'm pretty up to date with Batman stuff but when did it drop? Uh, i want to say like a few weeks ago maybe? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it.
1: The 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 Robert Pattinson one.
0: I think it's Catwoman's in it. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? I'm excited. I'm actually pretty excited for it. I it's it's a nice take on a, a couple of Batman comics that uh they're kind of mashing together, but I I'm excited. And and we haven't seen Riddler on screen for a while in the original on-screen riddler was a literal joke. So, uh yeah, I'm excited to see how they how they do that. But maybe we'll save that for a sign off or something. I can go go more into it.
1: Maybe maybe for a, an upcoming episode we'll have you just recite the entire plot of The Dark Knight.
0: Perhaps. Uh my table this week is that I'm back to work tomorrow at the time of recording. Not super thrilled with that, but of course I do need to do that. So, yeah, back to work. Yeah, that
1: whole working to survive thing. Ugh, what a hassle. <laughs> I know, right? It almost makes me jealous of of people that, uh, that have turned magic into a, like a full-time, I guess, turned content creation into a full-time job. there's some scary things about that. I know a lot, there's a lot of risk involved, obviously, and I'm sure plenty of people try this and we never hear about how bad it goes because they're not the ones that we, you know, listen to week in and week out. Right. Uh, and I don't think that's anywhere close for, for us, (laughs) but you know, one can dream, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, it also depends on where you live, right? Like I'm just outside of New York City. You're not too far from there yourself. Like, mm. it's pretty expensive in this area. If you moved like Midwest, it'd be a lot easier to make something like that happen. Um, oh yeah, but you know, different different things to consider there. Totally. So
1: let me start off with my teferis. I I have to talk about this decathlon thing, right? Like this was this was just so much fun. Uh, thanks so much for people that came out to the stream and watched. And thank you, Zach, for uh, you know, sticking with me and making sure I didn't do anything too stupid. Which I did do some stupid things, but sometimes those stupid things won me games, and I guess I can't complain about that. We had a a nice snow day last week. Uh, I had Friday off, which was cool. That doesn't happen very often. I think there's more snow coming, but I don't know. We'll see how that happens. Uh, I have a virtual day next week, and uh, I get to stay home for Martin Luther King Day, so get to hang out, maybe uh, jam some games, reflect some some good stuff, Uh, consider my place in life the usual things you do on your days off, right? Uh, and I gotta, I gotta shout out Seinfeld. I have never watched Seinfeld, somehow. I, I can't describe why. I've known my entire life that it's a show that I would love, and I just finally got around to watching it. Pretty funny. Pretty great.
0: I also have not seen it yet, so I, I need to fix that as well.
1: Yeah, it's 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 definitely worth it. Also, it's just on Netflix, which is the easiest place to access anything, so uh, highly recommend. A nice uh, nice Tybalt. This is kind of a, an existential dread Tybalt, but the United States has passed uh, 1.4 million daily COVID cases. Like, how do you even put your head in that kind of, like, what?
0: What? <laughs> yeah, uh, fortunately, though, it seems that hospitalizations relative to cases are down. So, I mean, I don't know if the actual number of literal uh, hospitalizations is down compared to other times, but relative to the number of cases that are showing up, um, they're down. So that's at least a decent sign. Like, hopefully that means that whatever the next variant, the, I don't know, Delta Micron variant or whatever is going to be even less potent in terms of symptoms and and hospitalizations and things like that. And maybe we will Mm -hmm. really start to see it move towards something resembling the cold or the flu or something like that. I know a lot of, maybe not a lot, but I I read recently that a, a handful of european countries have started to discuss whether we should start calling it an endemic illness instead of a pandemic um meaning that it's basically like the flu where it's something that we always have to be aware of and is always going to be around but isn't like an absolute menace or anything we have ways to treat it that kind of thing we shall see i'm not sure that i think we're ready there yet but i'm also not an expert on how illnesses move across Mm -hmm. the globe or anything like that so yeah we'll see
1: yeah, me neither. Uh, all I can say is that as long as I still am getting calls every day, like "Hey, were you within fifteen feet of this student?" I'm just gonna keep rolling my eyes and, and saying, "Man, <laughs> things could have been better," but not a lot we can do about it now. Uh, one thing we can do is uh, is play some magic to to take our stresses off the from the weight of the world. So why don't we hit up our listener question of the week from Wolverine? Uh, we got a, a nice little question here. We're going to ask the data. How often are you guys using seventeen lands in preparation, during drafts, or throughout a format?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. We did talk about this a little bit. As one of our resolutions for the year is to make better use of of the seventeen lands data that we have available. I typically don't use it in preparation outside of maybe a big tournament, which I don't typically qualify for. Like I don't, I don't really spend the time to hit mythic or anything like that. If I had made the decathlon finals, I probably would have done some some prep, but. Then it was in a, in a format that we didn't have a ton of time to play with before the event, so not sure how much data I would have had to work with there, at least for myself. They, they also give you access to everybody else's data, so you can check an aggregate of other drafts and things like that. During drafts, I do use untapped just to g- keep an eye on my deck list, my percentages to draw lands and things like that, but I'm not actually using 17 lands specifically for that, although they do now have a live draft feature. Uh, you just have to have it open in a separate window, and I like having an overlay. And throughout a format, I'll use it just to kind of piece together whether I've improved over over the course of playing the format in general, or to keep track of like my trophy rate or thing like things like that. But I am not typically using it too much, and that's part of why it was in our resolutions for the year. Like I, I should be using it much more than I am.
1: Yeah, I'd echo a lot of what you had to say. Preparation, not too much, unless I happen to be late to a, a format. Uh, if I wanted to just kind of get a bit of a head up, I trust myself to. Uh, look at some of the the data and kind of interpret it productively, hopefully finding out, oh, maybe this card is a little undervalued right now. Maybe this card's a little overvalued right right now. Honestly, I like seeing that midway through drafts too. Sometimes if there's like a really close pick and I don't think it matters too much, uh, I might just pull up the 17 lands data and see what kind of uh, decks have been using it, see what uh, maybe... You know, relative win rates they have opening hand versus otherwise, and just as like a, it's kind of a, a way. Not saying that I want to automate my drafting in any way, but just saying that like, oh, I, I wonder, at, like maybe something that your intuition might not cover you for. Maybe like a rare versus a, a a solid common, and you're just not really sure if if one has been performing. Maybe you just don't have experience with the rare, right? And then throughout a format, I would say I check on my 17 lands data few times a week sometimes uh, if I'm playing uh, and I want to just double check and see, oh, have I been drafting this color pair more often or uh, have other people had more success with this, this certain archetype than I have? Uh, definitely a great, great thing to have access to. 17 lands has really revolutionized the, the modern limited landscape.
0: Yeah. And speaking of automating your draft experience did you see ryan sachs published his uh his his bot and it quickly rose through plat and into diamond and uh made me feel terrible (laughs) (laughs) about my ability to draft
1: well look look i mean we all knew that the rise of the machines was coming soon and that's just drafting right so that the bot does the drafts and then he's been playing it out right
0: the bot does the drafts and the deck build and he plays yeah well
1: with a killer combination like that i mean Drafting is hard. <laughs> no one, no one ever claimed otherwise. Uh, I remember like going to my my weekly uh, club in, in college and just getting pounded into the dust by better drafters than I was, and I just didn't get why I was o Ring every week until eventually I started learning and I stopped forcing black white allies in, <laughs>
0: in the old Zendikar. <laughs> at least you weren't playing green. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, on to our main topic. So, of course, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we are talking about Arena Cube mostly. In this episode, of course, the arena cube and cube in general is fantastic. It's one of our favorite formats of all time. Stays very, very fresh because they put it up, take it down, update it, put it back up, which is one of my favorite things about the cube, really. Any of the cubes we see, the good ones, vintage cube, which, you know, if you've heard me talk on the show recently, you know I haven't really played, but getting the vintage cube and the arena cube periodically and even the tinkerers cube gives them time to kind of play test it, make sure that it's fresh and actually can work. And I really like that. It also makes it so we don't get bored of it because if it was up year round, I think it would get boring.
1: I would go as far as to say Cube can be the best way to experience Magic the Gathering.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually a fair statement. I mean, we've talked about draft being an incredible way for new players to get involved with the game. Cube is sort of like one of those situations where once you've really gotten to know how to play the game, let's throw you in the deep end and show you this the like utmost of what this experience could be. And, and yeah, I think that is cute.
1: That being said, if you're brand new to swimming, the deep end is pretty scary, <laughs> right? And, uh, if you, if you wind up belly flopping into the deep end, you know, that's going to be extra painful because the pool is deep. I don't know. I think, I think I've broken my <laughs> analogy a little bit here.
0: <laughs> no, no, keep going. You're doing great.
1: Let's move on. So what is a cube? Um, this is a question that I was embarrassed to ask for a really long time when I was a new Magic player. I wasn't sure if people were talking about like the box that they kept it in. or. But then I was like, it's digital? Are there like a, a four cards? Like I don't know what people were talking about. So for those that might also have been too embarrassed to ask, a cube is just a curated list of cards. Ignoring things usually like rarity and instead focusing on stuff like theme, power level, You might see the Mythic Uncommon in a certain set alongside actual Mythic Rares, and these tend to have certain sizes. Uh, Cubes usually are 360 cards, 540 cards, or 720 cards. Uh, A 360 card cube allows every card to get drafted. 540, I believe it's two-thirds of the cards get drafted, and 720, the math, you know, continues up. So through all of that, a cube is just a draft environment that is hand-picked people do this in different ways Uh, they can be tailored to the liking of their creator sometimes incorporating new cards sometimes testing out new archetypes from whatever new set there was and they're often built around certain factors maybe power level or rarity uh, some people even have specific set cubes, like uh, like an Innistrad cube, or a, maybe a plane-based one, uh, like every card that's been on Zendikar, that type of thing.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the nicer parts about cube generation, not only just playing the cubes, but actually building them. Well, it's kind of like EDH on steroids, right? People have a yeah. ton of putting yeah. themselves into their commander decks, and with cube, you can do that with an entire set of cards, and you're really building your own set to your liking, and um, I found it to be a ton of fun. It is certainly time-consuming to build. Oh on. yeah. But there are plenty out there that are very affordable to, to put together yourself um, that other people have built and tested and you can pick up the cards. There are also some that are very expensive because there are things like the vintage cube that run cards mm-hmm. from all over the history of magic. So yeah, there's a lot to explore with these.
1: Unless you're trying to maybe shell out a few, <laughs> a few grand for mox and God forbid a black Lotus, maybe you'd trade a car in for that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh notably uh, if you have this in paper just
0: proxy that stuff who are we kidding uh, anyway what is arena cube right so arena cube is specifically a collection of cards that we see in arena of course there are some cards in the arena cube especially in this iteration that are not necessarily accessible in other areas of the game we've seen that happen before i think the first iteration of the arena cube had cards like Ulamog in it was the first situation where we saw cards that weren't in the client elsewhere, yeah, but you could, yeah. you could draft them in this, uh, in this environment. So in this particular iteration, we see the new alchemy cards, which was interesting. I wasn't actually expecting them to put alchemy cards and maybe that's me being naive, but, uh, it's kind of cool to see some of those in there and, and how they interact. I was a little disappointed. There was one in particular that I was drafting my first arena cube draft for this time around. And I didn't pay too much attention to the alchemy stuff when they were talking about it and what the new cards were or anything. But mm-hmm. one of the cards that I was passed said seek, right? It had the, the seek clause oh, yeah. in there. But when I moused over the card, it didn't explain what seek did. So I was just <laughs> like, I'm not going to take this because I don't know what it does. It turns out it's actually a decent card, but I just didn't know what it did.
1: All right. Pop quiz. What's the difference between seek conjure and shoot, what's the other one? <laughs> I don't know. I don't the know. Third one is, but the
0: <laughs> seek takes a random card from your deck or a random card fitting a certain criteria. So it might be like seek a creature. It just gives you uh-huh. a random creature from your deck. Conjure generates a selection of cards, like you can pick from so many cards. I think it's three from a set I list. That was drafting. I don't I don't know. I'm pretty sure conjure makes well conjure makes <laughs> copies know. of cards or something but it like makes an actual copy of the card in your hand or wherever it gets put. Oh, it's not a token interesting.
1: Hmm. And then of course I've seen drafting from spell books uh, too. I don't right. know if any of that made it into the I think one or two of those cards are in the cube. But anyway um, this is a this is an all right version of the arena cube. I think this is the fourth iteration if I'm if I'm correct. Uh, in the very first edition, Red Green Ramp was so overpowered and I had a field day. It was just the best time. I, I think I quickly got like around 80,000 gold just from just jamming Arena Cube over and over again. I just chained like 15 trophies in a row. It was awesome. I just had an absolute blast. Thankfully, red-green is still pretty good. In the second version, blue-white control got a buff, and it started getting wraths, and it started making my life annoying. In version three, the tokens and creature-based strategies we're solid again unless I'm unless this was just one version in between I could be mixing it up I feel like there was another iteration where uh the the tokens and and creature stuff was a little better again uh I I seem to remember woodland champion the one in the green two two whenever a creature token enters the battlefield put a plus one plus one counter on it I seem to remember making like a 15 15 off of that thing like you could just make a ton of tokens this would be the fourth edition if I'm counting correctly. There's some very confusing removals from the cube and a few interesting additions like we mentioned most notably uh, the rebalanced cards and some of the alchemy exclusives and some real groan testers that, that really messed up the format in, in maybe not the best way. I'm looking at Sarah's Emissary really hard. That card doesn't belong here.
0: <laughs> More on that in a, in a little bit, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the, the version of the cube is... Um, Roughly based on power level. I would say there's some exceptions in there, but most cards in the arena cube perform at about the level of like a rare in in the typical standard set draft. Um, Most of the cards tend to be like rares, there's some mythics in there, some commons and, and uncommons too. Not to say that the power level is just like rare cards across the board, there's definitely broken things you can do. Some of the archetypes that you find in this cube are ones you wouldn't really get to play anywhere else, which is why the cube experience is so much fun. Right, so like uh, the blue white blink deck, for example, like Soul Herder, DASA, blinking stuff, teleportation circle. These are experiences you don't get to really have anywhere else. And then you go, okay, well, what can I combine with this? Wait a minute, teleportation circle plus thrag tusk? Does that do what I think it does? And then you just kind of start building around these cool interactions. And that can lead to some really, really great decks. I actually have, have pulled off the flickering th- thrag tusk over and over again, and it is just as good as it sounds.
0: Yeah, I mean, rest of Thrag Tusk has always of Thragtusk has always been a winner. And in this case, you've got a handful of ways to do that. So uh, yeah. definitely something to keep an eye out. And one of my favorite things with that experience as well is, you know, it's maybe a little bit less clear, even if you pay attention to the Twitterverse and like other social media outlets for Magic. It's a little bit less clear, like what decks to build or what what are the decks to find in Cube. And so it can be really fun to just kind of in the moment, kind of go through that journey of like, well, I picked up this thrag tusk. Oh, I just got past a teleportation circle. Wait a second. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Those two work so well together and you can do X, Y, yeah. Z putting all these different things together. And then you just find that one piece that you're like, Whoa, I didn't realize that this interacted with this, this way. And yeah, it's, it can be a ton of fun. It's like a whole journey in, in one draft. It's really great.
1: Yeah. That's, that's one of the best things about cube. It's the discovery process, but because it's so curated and, and kind of, tailor-made the designers knew knew all these things right like they saw the interaction they said oh they're gonna love this they put it in and now we get to kind of discover all these little little hidden treats throughout the cube kind of like uh you know little easter eggs almost for for the experienced and inexperienced players alike
0: right so we've got a few different archetypes that we wanted to kind of cover and just make sure that are on your radar don't want to take away the entirety of that discovery process for you but we just want to throw some things on your radar so that you're aware of a handful of the different archetypes that are pretty popular right now
1: mono white and mono red these are two really really solid decks you can win a lot of games with them mono black is the other kind of mono colored deck that that crops up sometimes this deck got hurt a little bit too you need some particular cards you really need phyrexian obliterator that's the the black 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 and then you also need gray merchant of asphodel uh gary to to drain them for for your black devotion I haven't been super impressed with this in, in this version, but mono red and mono white are just great. These are really tight aggro decks. The fact that you don't have to worry about picking up dual lands for these uh, is great. And every once in a while you'll pick up like a green red cycling land and just put it in your red deck uh, to kind of add that extra consistency. Yeah, uh, these decks can can win you a ton of games. They can uh, really pressure and punish your opponents that are trying to dirtle and do big stuff. Maybe if your opponent is playing all these 5-drop bombs and they just didn't pick up any acceleration, you can just kill them before they get the chance to resolve any of their late-game haymakers. One side note here, I don't advise playing red-white. I know it can be easy when you start to pick up aggressive cards. You can be like, oh, look at this this red 3-mana uh, like 4-3, and oh, look at this white 2-mana 3-1. I'm just going to attack them a bunch. Then you start relying on fixing, and then your aggressive cards get weaker because maybe you have some tap lands, or uh, maybe you don't pick up as much fixing as you need because you're fighting with the other aggro decks. There's exactly one case where I think it's right to play red-white, and that is if you have heroic reinforcements. That card is just nuts. It can win the game entirely on its own, and it ends the game on turn four more than any other card in the cube. That's one reason, uh, but honestly, you could just splash it, you know, out of white or red. I would consider playing maybe a base red or base white deck and then maybe splashing in one of the other colors, especially if you have heroic reinforcements.
0: That's also a great thing to keep in mind when you see mountains and plains on your opponent's side of the battlefield. Basically, just assume they have the heroic reinforcements and play around them having
1: that in hand. How many times did I call that during a (laughs) A lot, a lot? More than once
0: for sure. Mm -hmm. So next up, we have green ramp, like green plus anything ramp. It can be any colors from sort of mono green up to five color tends to be base green blue or base green red. And I've had the most success with the base green red versions of this deck, but it really can be base anything really. There's a ton of ways to fix colors in green and a handful of ways to do it in other colors as well. These are the decks that you just want to pick up a bunch of lands, any of the dual lands you can pick up a Golos and just go to town. Yeah,
1: the cowardly way is to do mono green, but honestly, I just don't think that's that good. Uh, a lot of the the green mana dorks, they tap for many colors uh, anyway. So why not just uh, you know, pick up some red cards, pick up some blue cards. Red green has two of the stronger cards that I've noticed in uh, Rada Eirdekeld, is that it, and Halana and Elena, which just really both overperformed for me for the entirety of the decathlon.
0: Yeah, Rada is much better than I first gave credit for and Hmm. easily, like, on its own, won probably close to, like, 20%, 25% of your games. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree.
1: Another archetype we wanted to mention, blue-red spells. We mentioned earlier that Dragon Rage Channeler and Delver of Secrets are in this cube now. Those are really, really good, aggressive, kind of tempo-y cards, right? Lightning Bolt is in this cube. Uh, I think uh, Memory Lapse is in this cube. Like, these are just really good, cheap interactive spells. Now, this isn't the kind of deck where you'd want to be doing... Like big blue red spells you wouldn't really want dragon rage Channeler, and Delver in the same thing as like a magma opus deck necessarily uh, unless maybe you're playing um, I don't know Miix's mastery and you're, and you're really popping off I did lose to Mizix's mastery in, in the in the decathlon an overloaded one which is pretty sweet I have to give him credit for that but uh, you, you probably want this blue red deck to be a little bit more uh, tempo-y, a little more aggressive there's some bounce spells you can consider playing uh, you really want to end the game quick.
0: Also, literal counterspell is in this cube, so throw that in there too. So we've got a white-based white base deck here. It's sort of white X control. We've seen blue-white and also a Mardu version of this build, but nothing really seems to be all that amazing. The problem with these decks tends to be that your opponents just have more threats than you have the ability to control. And unless you have something like the Immortal Sun or some of those cards that lock things down, um, Overwhelming Splendor is another one. I'm not even sure if it's in this iteration of the cube, but has been in the past. Unless you have these cards and can really survive till the end, like late stages of the game, you aren't going to be really able to keep up with your opponent's threats most of the time.
1: Yeah, a lot of these weird control decks, I mentioned Blue-Black kind of falls into the same category. They can one-for-one, one, but when all the threats are inherent two-for-ones, one-for-one removal and counterspells just aren't that great. Like, if you can resolve a Planeswalker against one of these control decks, you just win the game. Like, what are they going to do against the, a Chandra Torch of Defiance, right? Like, it's just going to start ticking up and killing them and adding card advantage, ramping in mana. It's much better to be assertive in, in this cube than to be reactive, and I you'd have to pay me a lot of gems to get me to draft a majority reactive deck. Plus, um, there's just not that many good control cards. There's Wraths and stuff. Doomscar is a real card. But at the same time, you're probably going to have to play some kind of dorky little creatures. Something like like the suspicious stowaway that we saw in our crack draft right? In that pack one, pick one. A lot of control decks will probably have to play little junkers like that just to, to find the consistency that they need in order to, you know, find their actual removal spells, find their board wipes, find their, their haymakers and, and game winners. And then you're no longer leveraged in the fact that you're a control deck. Now my, you know green, red, uh, mid-range removal spells are turned online, right? And now uh, I get extra value out of that. Uh, the, the the real good thing about being a control deck in Constructed is that you just operate on a totally different axis. You've broken the symmetry by destroying all creatures. Jokes on them, you didn't have any creatures, right? But I find that in the cubes, it doesn't tend to be true. They end up being a little clunkier and they often suffer for it.
0: Yeah, we have seen a version of the white based control decks that played a pretty controlling game in game one, then, so, then managed to like flip into a bit of a not aggressive, but also not super dirtily creature based deck. That is something they can do sometimes if you get the right cards in your sideboard, but it's also not a great plan because a lot of the times those two types of cards don't mix very well and you usually don't get enough of both to make a proper deck out of. So yeah, maybe you can catch your opponent off guard with a pivot like that, but typically it's not going to work out for you.
1: Unfortunately, I think we have to chalk up blue white control as another casualty of these changes. I just pulled up Arena Cube to check and they took out Teferi Hero of Dominaria. I think that really had an impact, right?
0: Yeah, I would say so. I mean he was one of the best options those decks had. We still have Teferi's tutelage though, so like we the, the blue white control mill plan <laughs> is just always always an option.
1: Oh man. I did get milled out once in this cube. It felt so bad. I was playing uh, I was playing Reanimator too. Wow. <laughs> so I was
0: I helped them, you know? I've always uh, wanted to build that deck in this cube, and I or in in, in the arena cube period, not necessarily this iteration, but um, I've never been able to do it.
1: Well, I wouldn't try it in this one either, because that's another uh, another casualty of the changes. I haven't seen just much support in, in this one. The, the reanimator, the green-white tokens, and the counters deck. The flicker deck, um, I think they all got kind of nerfed. The flicker one less so. That one uh, got a little more support here and there. But most notable missing cards are uh, the green-white token doublers, Teferi hum- Hero of Dominaria, Teferi Hero of Dominaria. Sarkhan's Unsealing was a big loss. I love that card. I'm, well, let, let's put it in the draft shop cube. Uh, it, it deserves a home somewhere, right? And the whole red-green power package, the power matter stuff, uh, it all kind of got taken out too.
0: Yeah, and then one other thought, I, I did build the blue-white flicker deck in my first run-through of the cube, this iteration, and I found that I was able to get all of the enablers. They're all there, but none of the payoffs were. So I I had Thassa, I had Teleportation Circle, and I just didn't have anything worthy of flickering. Like, my mm. best flicker target was Torrential Gear Hulk, and I couldn't even pick up good instance to get back with it. So oh. it's like some of those, like, weird situations. I don't know if that was just me having bad luck or you know, what, what the deal was exactly with that. But I wonder if they maybe pulled out some of the, the payoffs to, to put in some enablers and it just ended up kind of being a wash in terms of the power level of the deck. That's a good point.
1: Another thing is that a lot of the good flicker targets are just good cards on their own. Like Knight of the Reliquary and Reclamation Sage are two pretty high picks in this cube. Uh, just there's a lot of good artifacts and enchantments around. And those are also two of the, the key flicker targets. Uh, you want them really, really badly, but so does everyone else, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that actually is uh, sort of endemic to the problem with that deck. It's kind of what we saw. It's like the opposite problem that Snow had in a uh, call time draft where like they could pick up whatever mm. they wanted. In this case, you need some pretty p- specific stuff, but everybody also wants to pick those up. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your best cards are also everyone else's best cards. Yeah. So it's time to talk about the Decathlon because I, I can't make it through this episode without, you know, a little bit of humble bragging. I did go 7-2, and after having played 21 games with my deck and winning 16 of them, I feel pretty confident that this is a really good arena cube deck, right? I, I thought a good way to talk about this cube would be to break down this deck real quick and just analyze some of the, the best things about it. Can we just link this uh, the 17 lands file for this deck?
0: Yep. Yeah. The whole draft will be in the uh, episode description. So you can check that out.
1: Awesome. You can go and see some of the the tight plays. If you want to see an especially tight play, I highly recommend going and seeing the final play of the final game of the final match, because I don't really think a description would do it justice. But uh, frankly, it it (laughs) involves
0: frankly, you're probably better off just going to twitch.tv slash whatever your username is. And uh, I can put the link to that in the episode description as well. And just watch the last like Ten minutes of the stream. I don't think it got saved, dude. I tried finding it. Oh, I think the whole, the whole, the whole entire stream probably got saved. I'll, I'll take a look. If it's, if, yeah. if, if we can find it, it'll be linked in the episode description.
1: Yeah, I think I need some help with that. But as I was saying in the Discord earlier, I really just don't understand Twitch that much. <laughs> it's one of my my blind spots in modern technology. But just as a as a quick overview of this deck, uh, I was playing a five color base green red ramp Golos deck. I didn't have Field of the Dead, unfortunately, but just to shout out some of the notable pieces, I had a Magda, I had an Shield Shieldbreaker, Tangled Florahedron, Wolf Willow Haven, Lightning Strike, and Thundering Rebuke as removal. Then I had some some ramp in the three drop slot, Dryad of the Elysian Grove, War Visionary, Cultivate, Rada Heart Heart of Keld, not Ered of Held, Keld uh, Rada Heart of Keld, which just truly one of the the keys of the deck. Four drops, I had Halana and Elena partners. Uh, and I had Volo Guide to Monsters, which usually
0: got sided out. Did I did I ever really get this to work? We did use it once or twice, but it didn't it like got you one extra card or something like it was never drawn in a point where it was very useful and then it got cited out a lot because it was too slow against certain matchups right and it died uh, a lot as well uh, It, di- <laughs> it, it, it <laughs> ate removal spells almost every time you cast it so i guess a
1: three four mana lightnings uh lightning rod isn't the worst thing in the world right in the five drop slot that's i really only had those two four drops i only had helana and elena and i had volo because my plan was just to ramp straight from three to five in 5, I had Elder Gargaroth, Glorybringer, Golos, Thragtusk, and Renin 7. Just, what a beautiful 5-drop slot that is. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that brings a tear to my eye. It's gorgeous. And it only gets better. Uh, in the 6-drop slot, you've got Kogla, the Titan Ape. Above that, uh, 7, Hornet Queen, and a Call. And then the Great Henge, topping off the list. Uh, and then, just honestly more dual lands than i could name uh i only had one two three four basics and then i just had tons of fixing stuff that i could get with golos i had a scry land i had some cycling lands i had both ketria Triome and savai trium and canyon Slough, i had layer of the hydra as a man land this was a good cube deck i loved this deck but i want to talk about some specifics right the ramp that i had uh i had a bunch of it Uh, Between Wolf Haven, Paradise Druid, Tangled Florahedron, Dryad of the Elysian Grove, Cultivate, Llanowar Visionary. All of these things allow me to get access to additional mana before I should have had them. And in Arena Cube, when everyone's playing these like six mana, limited bomb, I win the game cards, you just want to make sure yours come down on turn four while your opponents still come down on turn six. So if you're playing stuff like uh, Paradise Druid and and Tangled Florahedron on turn two... You're gonna be able to ramp into something like Helena and Alina turn four, uh, turn three, Elder Gargoth turn four. That can just end the game against a uh, a red deck or a white deck that, or even a a, a slower deck that hasn't really gotten their bearings of them yet. As long as you're doing your game plan faster, you're in pretty good shape.
0: Yeah, it's also fair to say you know it's good to have a lot of ramp because you need to find it when you're playing these these sorts of game plans. But you also need to know when you don't need it. And to that point, we cited out cultivate quite a bit in this with this deck mm. it just happened to be a bit too slow in a lot of matchups and because there yep. were so many other ways to ramp at two mana it just wasn't needed all that often so pay attention to when your cards are being useful and and when you can get rid of them
1: i want to shout out some of the best ramp spells in this format mind stone guardian idol cold steel heart and wolf willow haven are all super important just because they can't be killed with like a lightning bolt like a swords or something. Um, the fact that you know you're going to be able to play a 4-drop on turn 3, as long as you have the lands, right, make these extra important. Sure, like Llanowar Elves and, and that stuff is great. Paradise Druid actually kind of gets around it because it has Hexproof, right? But these birds that can't be bolted, if you will, just guarantee that you're going to get that extra um, kind of tempo positive play on your opponent. Just that that ramp is so crucial. Uh, I want to shout out, as kind of like a runner-up in this category, Ornithopter of Paradise It's too generic for an O2 to tap for a mana of any color. This allows something like a blue-red deck to have ramp, right? (laughs) And it taps for fixing for any color. That's really strong. I I see it go late, way later than it should. In addition to mana ramp, gotta talk about mana fixing. Whether from creatures or lands, you know, I I picked up how many dual lands? Probably like 10 or 12 of these lands are are dual lands or a few tri-lands in there too. This allowed me to, despite playing, honestly, four colors. I was able to hit all this stuff consistently. I mean, I I was playing double red spells and triple white spells and triple green spells, and I never really had a problem casting stuff. I even had a languish in the sideboard, a double black spell, and I was able to bring it in pretty reliably. It, It was never really a problem. That was because I spent a lot of these picks on dual lands and stuff like that. Also, creatures that tap for mana of any color are are good to keep an eye on. Dryad of the Elysian Grove is kind of the catch-all here. Is it just, you know, perfect fixes all of your mana?
0: Yeah, we, we did have a few games where black was a bit of a problem just by nature. There was also a Culligan's Command in the deck. And then occasionally we were bringing Languish in, as Ben mentioned. So sometimes we needed at least one or two black sources pretty early on in the game. And especially against when you're bringing Languish in, you're playing against an aggressive deck. So the earlier mm. you see that and your lands to cast it, the, the better, obviously. But yeah, it really weren't too many issues. And there were actually a few times where Ben would like walk through a line and then I was like, yeah, but we don't have the mana to cast that. And he's like, dude, all my lands are swamps. <laughs> and it's like a triad of <laughs> Elysian Grove sitting on the board. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely uh, pay attention to what cards you have on the battlefield. <laughs>
1: Obviously, I think it's time to talk about the golem in the room. Uh, Golos is both ramp and fixing, and wincon all in one. Also, it's colorless. Play Golos. Play Golos. Just try it. Just try it once. <laughs> Just spin Golos once and tell me it's not the greatest thing you've ever experienced. I, I also should mention that having some utility lands is nice as well. Uh, the lands with cycling uh, or man lands, lands with activated abilities. Uh, I, I think I did actually use the layer of the Hydra for a win or two here and there, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it did. It won a handful of games and certainly got us set up to win some other games that it didn't win on its own. So, yeah, it's, it's mm. always good when you have something to just throw your mana into. And a lot of yeah. times lands like that get overlooked by your opponents because there's so much going on, especially in a cube format where just every single card could be a game ender that your opponents typically overlook the things that are already there. Especially when it comes to lands, so it can just be. Especially the the layer of the Hydra can be one that like out of nowhere you're like, oh, I've got thirteen mana. Let's just dump it into this Hydra. And <laughs> they didn't leave up blockers because I don't have any haste creatures in my deck. That's
1: exactly what happened. You remember that I, I yeah. activated it for X equals twelve. <laughs> yeah. Next category, I want to shout out artifact and enchantment removal. So I had this in a few forms in my deck. I had Kogla the Titan Ape, which went into attacks. You can destroy an artifact or enchantment. But to be honest, it's better to have cheaper stuff than that. Embra's Shieldbreaker was nice. That's uh, the one that you can adventure for 1 red to destroy target artifacts and in my sideboard hide now I had a masked vandal that's the, the shapeshifter from Kaldheim when it enters the battlefield if you can get something uh, a creature out of your graveyard if you can exile one you can exile an artifact or enchantment your opponent has honestly just really flexible stuff uh, there's a lot of good artifacts and enchantments i even mentioned uh, like something like dryad of the Elysian grove that's an enchantment great henge that's an artifact golos that's an artifact uh, I, I had that main deck Colagons command too, which could uh, nuke an artifact as well. I found all this stuff pretty great. Just really solid to have in my deck. There were many times when I was extremely happy to have them. There's some high impact uh, artifacts and enchantments in the format. And you can main deck like a Reclamation Sage if you're playing green.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And some of you might be asking why wasn't the Mass Vandal main decked? And that was because we were going in on the Volo plan. Mass Vandal and Volo <laughs> don't quite go so well together.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Last uh, last few things here, just cheap removal spells. I had the Lightning Strike, I-, I had the Thundering Rebuke. Just, you know, you wanna make sure you can deal with an aggressive start should it come. Uh, I had a cheap curve relatively. When you look at the deck list, you'll notice it's mostly two drops. Uh, I have more two drops than anything else. And I think that's a really solid rule. I know when you're playing cube, sometimes your eyes get a little bigger than your stomach and you're like, oh my God, is that a, is that like an, is that like a five drop angel? Oh, I got to take that. Oh, and then, uh, wait a minute. that That's a, that's a six drop mythic. I got to take that. I hate to tell you, but you should be taking Lanawar elves and you should be taking Gilded Goose and you should be taking these cheap ramp spells over the expensive stuff almost all the time because everyone has game enders. Like, when I sit down and start a game of cube, I just know that three or four of the cards in my opponent's hand would win your average game of, like, like limited, right? I just have to make sure that I have those in my hand, too, uh, and then I'm able to ramp into them faster than my opponent. So, uh, again, powerful game enders. That's a big part of it. In my deck, I had uh, the Hornet Queen. I had the Great Henge. I had a Marius Call. And the best win con of all, just Golos. Just activate Golos a bunch of times, and your opponents will concede eventually.
0: Yeah, and to that point, right... You know, I, I got into a point when I was drafting that blue white deck that I mentioned, the blue white flicker deck, I had a pack passed to me. I looked at a handful of the cards, but I saw a Lyra Dawnbringer and I was like, oh, sweet Lyra, mm. such a good card. I grabbed it. It ended up being my like 24th card and I cut it. Like, yeah. it's just not yeah. that powerful, especially when you're focused on blinking stuff. And mm-hmm. that we've talked about this in previous Cube episodes. You can check out our backlog to try to, you know, find out um, some of those other episodes we talked about Cube. But one of the things that you want to keep in mind with Cube is that there are way too many cards and cubes that will end games. Just about mm-hmm. every card is a game ender in some way, shape, or form. Totally. You want to find the cards that are unique and scoop those up as early as possible, the ones that can't be replaced. And by that, I mean... Not necessarily that there's another card that does exactly what this card does, but again, a lot of your really important game enders, there's another really important game ender that you can find that will do maybe not the exact same effect, but something that equally as powerful that will still win you the game. Whereas Llanowar Elves does the Lana Elves thing. You can find other dorks, sure, but you need the dorks. So mm-hmm. find the things that that are harder to duplicate and pick those up earlier than than uh, your opponents are.
1: Yep. Same idea goes with uh, cheap removal spells too, right? There's plenty of six mana win the game spells, but there's only so mana. There's plenty of six mana win the game spells, but there's only so many uh, like two drop removal spells, and those can be really important against the white and red aggressive decks. I mean, I, it was my worst matchup. I think even though I was pretty well suited against white and red, my two losses came against these red white aggressive decks. I just want to shout out some of my favorite pack one pick ones in this format. Uh, Golos, Field of the Dead, to hopefully pair with Golos. Uh, Chandra, Torture of Defiance has just really impressed me. Uh, it ramps, it adds uh, card advantage, it's a removal spell if you need it to be. Probably my favorite pack one pick one, uh, to be honest. Glorybringer, just can't go wrong with it. And some other strong picks. Uh, Torbrand. like we said, it makes the red decks tick. The Great Henge, any green deck wants this. Sky Sovereign is a massive win con. Anyone can play it, too, because it's colorless. As long as you're putting creatures in your deck, you can just crew that thing up and go to town. Sublime Epiphany continues to be the best blue card in the format. Just disgusting, disgusting magic card. Uh, When you see your opponent leave those six lands up and they have the two blue, you're just like, oh my god. Like, this turn just doesn't end well for me no matter what I do, right? Phyrexian Obliterator, if you want to try for the black deck, uh, you really do need that card. Chandra Awakened Inferno, the 6-drop Chandra, just really hard to beat. Embercleave, if you feel like going aggressive. Lanawar Elves, if you want to play green. Mindstone, I see, I see this card go like, I see this card wheel. Mindstone is one of the, the top like 20 cards in the cube, possibly top 10. Uh, and Ulamog, talking about unique effects. <laughs> if, you can, if you can resolve an Ulamog, you did it. You did the cube.
0: All right, so we've got a topic here at the end of our show notes that... I hear Ben has some some surprises for me even. So what, what do you got, Ben?
1: Mm-hmm. I didn't tell Zach about this. We're thinking of making some updates to the Arena Cube. I didn't tell Zach about this. We're thinking about making some updates to the Draft Shaft Cube. We had such a hard time cutting down to 360 cards for our first two versions. I was thinking for version three... Why not go 540 why not go a little bigger this time around huh get, get a nice replayable draft experience that's a little different each time around we have such great archetypes we we may as well expand them right we borrowed from some of our our favorite limited formats including arena cube uh, we actually share a few of them we have a uh, blue white blink in, in draft Draft cube we have green white tokens and counters which got nerfed in arena cube just come play it in our cube it's better over there uh, we have red green power same deal we have blue black reanimator same deal uh, and we even have some some cool unique stuff. We have red white equipment, which I'm sure you can guess. Some of my favorites are in there. Black white allies. I guess I, I get to keep forcing it after all. Green black spiders and uh, and many more, including some some hidden archetypes. For those that haven't heard us ramble about this before, we have a gates deck. We have allies like five color allies. We have big butts deck in there for Zach with assault formation and high alert and. Uh, uh, well, I think uh I think I might have found some other cool things for you to uh, to check out. Again, uh, I think it's time to upgrade this uh, in, in in deck size and um in cube size. Let's just, you know, go up the extra few hundred cards. I think we should improve our mana base a little bit with the expanded uh cube size. It allows us to have five cycles of dual lands, which is pretty sweet. That allows us to to expand our our mana uh pretty sufficiently. And that was one of the things that we felt weak in last time. We felt like our cube had too many creatures and the ratios were off. Uh, I went back through, I made a new tab on the the old cube sheet, and uh, I started filling out some new things. And uh, well, last but not least, I was thinking of ways we could up the drafting experience. After all, we are all about drafting chaff gear, right? I was thinking, uh, why don't we just go
0: big and include some conspiracies? I knew you were going to get some conspiracies. Because we, we have talked about doing this before. We talked about like, adding conspiracy cards. And we talked about adding a few other uh-huh. types of cards that we never did. There were some reasons we didn't. But I think with a slightly larger queue, we could maybe make that work out.
1: Can I interest you in the conspiracy weight advantage? For those that don't yes, know, a conspiracy I'm very is from the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the conspiracy set. They're, they're kind of like uh, like emblems that you start the game with. So let me read out Weight Advantage real quick. It's a conspiracy. It has the text, start the game with this conspiracy face up in the command zone. And then the text says, each creature you control assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. Hmm. Yep, you wouldn't I'm... happen to be interested in that, would you?
0: <laughs> you could convince me to be interested in, in such things as these. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think it's something we would look at for sure. We have to be careful with the conspiracies because some of them are ridiculous. So well, definitely worry. need to be I careful to about curating some. them. But yeah, that that's what worries me. <laughs> How
1: do you feel about Double Stroke? Uh, this one starts uh, in the command zone face down and you have to secretly name a card. And then the, the, the spell reads, or the conspiracy reads, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell with the chosen name, you may copy it and choose new targets. We have a blue-red spells theme, and it's blue-red big spells. The whole point is casting, like, huge blue-red spells, whether casting them from
0: free from the graveyard or, uh, or ramping up to them somehow. Uh,
1: I think it'd be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm on board for the most part. We just need to be careful about curating them because again, some of them can be absolutely ridiculous and some, you know, we it is the Draft Chaff Cube and if you haven't heard about uh-huh. the Draft Chaff Cube, we did an episode on literally just like our beginning creation of the cube so you can get an idea of what we were going for. It's fairly self-explanatory, but we are building the whole thing out of Draft Chaff Cards, cards that never really made it into standard or constructed formats in some way, shape, or form or were cards that you typically find just tossed around your, your draft tables after the draft. And That might sound really underwhelming. Believe us, it's not. These (laughs) decks get ridiculous.
1: I found a few other options. Um, Ones that are also from conspiracy sets. Honestly, conspiracy is the definition of draft chaff. These cards, I feel so bad for them. They got drafted probably once and then never again. They've been sitting in bins and binders and just gathering dust. I think it's time we give them a new home. Uh, Let me tell you about Deal Broker. This is a three mana, two, three colorless. It's construct draft deal broker face up. So when you draft it, you, you show people and it says immediately after the draft, you may reveal a card in your card pool. Each other player may offer you one card in their card pool in exchange. You may accept an offer and then it, it can uh, tap to draw a card and discard a card. How sick is that?
0: I mean, it certainly ups the complexity of the draft environment, which maybe we need. It, maybe we don't. That There are <laughs> things to definitely things to consider there. It will certainly change things up, and I'm excited to explore it for sure. I've got one more for you. Uh, Arcane Savant. This, this one's for
1: you. 3 blue blue for a 3-3 three, three human wizard. Before you shuffle your deck to start the game, you may reveal this card from your deck and exile an instant or sorcery you drafted that isn't in your deck. When Arcane Savant enters the battlefield, copy a card you exiled with cards named Arcane Savant. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty sick. It's interesting. Conspiracy is essentially the... I can't even say that because you can draft the unsets. It's 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 like a weird tangential to unsets where mm-hmm. th- there's some craziness going on, but it's just crazy enough that it works. It's not too yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm thinking with that card, because we also do have uh, Flicker as a sub-theme in blue. I'm thinking if you manage to cast something like uh, Shivan Meteor or Serpentine Spike or Vivian's Invocation and have that be the card that was exiled with um, uh, with the Arcane Savant, and then you start flickering Arcane Savant. Eh? Eh? Yeah, yeah it gets <laughs> nuts. Yeah. Anyway, um, I-, I-, I thought I might be able to interest you in some of this. And if you as the listener are interested in checking out what we've got so far, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Uh, honestly, if this can become like a, a community-influenced cube, that would be even better. We have a big list of achievements. Uh, a lot of them are are pretty fun. Uh, I, we spent some time thinking of some fun names. Uh, if you want to find out what a uh, flavor fail, no gates, no glory, overdraft, <laughs> revenge of the chaff. Like there's some good stuff in here. I highly recommend going and checking out our Cube Cobra page. We can definitely link that too. And seriously, send us your suggestions. If you have an archetype that you think we should do, we've been looking to revamp Blue Green to be honest. And uh, if if someone suggests something really cool for Blue Green, is what we could do with our, with that archetype, we might just be able to revamp it. You know, I I am starting to to get really into uh, the idea of of having this thing maybe be totally fixed up by I don't know a few months. Uh, it's going to take time and effort, yeah, but uh, I think there's no reason why we can't do it.
0: No, end of Q1 seems like a reasonable target to get this done.
1: <laughs> right, right. I'm going to pretend I know what that means. I'm a teacher, dude. <laughs>
0: the the first quarter of the year, first three months.
1: Quarter of the year? I mean, like... Uh... Three months? Yeah, I guess that checks out. Okay. <laughs> Corporate lingo.
0: In any case, you can check out our cube cover page. The The link to that will be in the episode description, and it has sort of an over, overview of the cube as it sits in the current version. I think it also has version history, so you can check the old version as well. Uh, but you can yeah. also, like, test draft it on there um, if you wanted to kind of get a feel for what the, the environment is like. And give us feedback on that, because we don't actually have a test group for this. It's very difficult to test this regularly, so... very. Give us feedback on on what you see in that that you'd like to see changed in version three, and we'll take all those things into consideration. You can leave comments right on that cube cover page as well. So if you just leave them there or drop them in the Discord, we'll we'll get to them.
1: Fair warning: if uh, if you all send the comment that we've gotten before and that we should cut Falconrath Aristocrat because it's quote unquote too good, I'm sorry, but uh, I, we will not be taking those suggestions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Well, that does it for us this week. Thanks so much for joining us again. If you aren't already in the discord, check it out. It's really just an awesome place to be. And we have a ton of fun in there with all you folks. So definitely give that a look. The link to that's in the episode description, along with all the other links that we mentioned throughout the show. And if you want to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Again, really, really appreciate it. Can't thank you folks enough for your support. And if you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Twitter by finding me at Zach E. Hackett. You can find Ben at Betafish1. And you can find the show directly at DraftChaffPod. Thanks, folks. And we'll talk to you next week. See you later. So
1: we already broke down the deck that won me the Decathlon, right? But that wasn't the only Decathlon deck that I played. I actually played uh, two more. I had three entries total. And those ones went much faster. Uh, I'll be honest. I barely remember the second deck I played. I couldn't even tell you what colors it was. It was not memorable at all. I remember nothing about it. I remember that I went five three and immediately moved on to the next one. Uh, I got my my three player draft tokens. That's what really mattered. But now uh, at this point, it was getting kind of late. It was like eight p.m. I think I was like finishing dinner, uh, and I was like you know watching TV, also playing Magic. You know, at this point, I had won the decathlon. I got what I came for. All I needed was the 3-3. Three, three. I didn't really care about much past that. So I, I ended up drafting this uh, this nice mono-red deck. It was actually from the cracker draft. I pack one, pick one, Torbrun uh, and I just kind of went into mono-red mode. The deck was pretty good. So uh, I'm kind of lackadaisically playing once I got past the 3-3. Three, three. That was all I really needed, right? Past that, it just didn't really matter. And I was, like, watching TV, playing, snacking, you know. And I looked down at that arena, and I see... The- that it's the last game. I see that it's uh, it's match seven, game three. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I kind of want to win this one. I didn't even realize I had gotten this far. I had assumed it was only like, I was at like five, like match five or match six or something. And I was like, oh my God, wait a minute. I have to focus now. Like I have to actually win this. If I can post on Twitter about winning two decathlons. Like, you know how nuts that would be? Um, Had a good hand started off strong got meat hook massacred it just wasn't even close
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's all it, all it really takes man they you know yeah and you were playing mono red so like yeah that's yeah. uh that's the game right there
1: <laughs> yeah yeah they gained a bunch of life it, it, it just wasn't a very interesting time after that So I had a good run. Uh, I got my my 6-3, my 5-3 and my 7-3. I really can't complain but uh, it was uh, a fun time and uh, can't wait for the next one honestly. Uh, more of these events the better.